Well, what is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Movie Night Apologetics Podcast. In this episode today, we're going to be going over A River Runs Through It from the 90s, I believe it is. And I'm going to examine the quote at the end of the movie where the minister says, we can love completely what we cannot completely understand. And I'm going to just share my thoughts and how it relates to the amazing love that God has for us and his children, for those who profess faith in Christ. And why I want to do that is because knowing the depth and intensity of God's love, it can actually help us to love others in the way that we should. And it's quite incredible, and I hope it encourages your walk with Christ today. So with that, let's start the show. Whether it's comedy, action-adventure, drama, horror, and everything else in between, all movies at least have one thing in common. They all share a message with you. This is Movie Night Apologetics, where I, movie apologist Clark, review and examine movies and their messages from a Christian perspective. So this movie is about two brothers growing up in rural Montana, close to probably, I believe, Missoula, and they love to fly fish. So much so that actually in one of the quotes, the one of the brothers says, you know, there's three things we're not late for, church, work, and fly fishing. And eventually as the boys grow up, uh, the older one, Norman, moves east to go to school, leaving his rebellious brother behind. And he eventually returns and gets reconnected with this brother, and they have uh, some adventures, and they go fly fishing and all that. And it's basically a, a narrative about the older brother telling us his life. And that is actually one of the reasons why I wanted to do this movie is because it's a narrated movie, and it's be- and because I haven't really seen it in a while. And so I'm like, I wonder what the point of that movie was because last time I saw it, I wasn't really critiquing it from a Christian perspective. So I was like, okay. Okay, what is the takeaway in this movie? And so, yeah, I I actually, I did really like the movie. Um, a few things about it that were kind of funny. Uh, one of them was there was a scene where the, I think it was the older brother who didn't want to eat his oats at the table and the parents were like, okay, well, you're just going to sit here all night. And that kind of reminded me kind of, brought back some PTSD moments for when my parents were trying to get me eat salads every night. And there was one specific night where I didn't want to eat the salad. So they said, okay, fine. And I can't remember exactly, but I just remember that I nuked the salad in the microwave to make it try to seem better. And it honestly kind of made it worse. So when I watched that scene, in a river runs through it where he's not eating his oats. I'm like, oh man, I know what that feels like. You know, just sitting there and you do not want to eat like what your parents gave in front of you. And so that was just something that I recalled from back in my childhood. And just the kid uh, rewriting the essay over and over. He has like a long, page long essay that he's writing and every time the dad's like oh hey do it again shorter 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 and i could just feel it's like you know when i was a kid you're you just you're a bunt up pent like you you have a lot of energy 
And so doing all that, it just, oh, it just sucks. But hey, you know what? It did pay off because he eventually became a professor. And so he's, he had that going for him. And so, yeah, those were a few things that I just caught briefly from the movie that I liked. I just loved the part with the oat scene and the part where he's at there. I always just remember those. Like, I remember when I watched it a long time ago that I remembered those two scenes specifically from the movie because... You know, I, I get it. I know what that's like. And so one of the, the, one of my biggest dislikes of the movie, if you haven't watched it yet, I assume that most people who watch or listen to this podcast, they watch the movie beforehand. At least that's what I suggest so you get a little bit more understanding with it. But you can listen to these if you, you know, don't want to watch the movie. I, I still highly recommend it. But, um, one of the things that I didn't really care for is that there wasn't really a problem and a climax and something resolved at the end. And I guess that's kind of the point of the movie. It's just not your typical movie like that where, you know, here's the main characters, now here's a problem, and now they got to figure out how to solve the problem, and then the problem's fixed at the end. It's just kind of like, here's this guy's life that he's talking about, and voila like the end so anyways if you haven't seen it go check it out it's about two and a two hour movie and it's got some good thoughts in it that i want to talk about one of them is that we're going to pick up after the commercial break uh one thing that i noticed about the two brothers as a teaser so i'll be back after the commercial break You guys want to know a secret? Just because I have a podcast out on the podcasting platforms doesn't mean people will find the show right away. I know it's crazy, but it's true. So in order for this podcast to reach people when they search for a new movie podcast to listen to, I need your help. I would love a five-star rating and review from you. This will help greatly reach people because my goal for the show is to help people, whether they are Christians or people from other religions or beliefs understand the Christian worldview through the movies and their messages. So if you haven't already, please pause this right now and rate this five stars and leave a review. I would appreciate that so much and that would just mean the world to me. Hope you guys are enjoying this episode and now let's get back to the show. So let's get into the heart of the episode and talk about the spiritual component of the movie. So one of the striking things that I noticed about this is that, you know, you had both the brothers. They both started in the same place. They grew up in the same house, went to the same church where their dad actually was a minister. at, And yet they both ended up in totally different places in life. You know, Norman was a graduate student who was going to teach at a school somewhere and he he became a professor. While Paul, the younger brother played by Brad Pitt, a great actor, stayed in rural Montana not pursuing an education. He became an alcoholic and he liked to gamble at like shady bars and get into bar fights over the gambling and whatnot. And it kind of made me think like I've been on this earth for 33 plus years now, just turned 33 about a week ago. 
and I've been a Christ follower for over 10 years of my life. And one of the interesting things is seeing the people that I've done ministry with or I've gone to college with or have gone to church with or have attended the same youth group as teens with, you know, we're now in, you know, some of them, we are now in totally different places in life, definitely by what we believe about Christ and about Christianity. And we both started from the same place and ended up in two totally different perspectives. And so, you know, because I think some of them have left either Christ uh, and don't want anything to do with him, or others have went to a more progressive Christianity that goes along with just kind of what the cultural norms say about sexuality and whatnot. And so it just got me thinking about how two people like my friends and I or these brothers in this movie can start out the same place and end up completely different people. You know, when I was doing a lot of street evangelism down in, like, say, U of I, University of Idaho in Moscow, Idaho. I would talk with people, and some people would say, well, or at least I'd hear other people talk with other people who I was doing evangelism with, and they would say, well, you know, you're a Christian because you grew up in a Christian home. And, you know, that is like an argument that maybe some people would make like, well, you're just a Christian because this is what you grew up in. And it's like, well, no, um, people are Christians because they decide to be Christians. And, you know, you have to think of that more argument. Okay. There are people that grew up in Christian homes that are now atheists. Why aren't they Christians? So you just have to kind of think of that. I thought I'd throw that one out there because I hear that argument a little bit. And I just have to say, you know, that's not that's not the case. Just because someone grows up in the same home, like, say, these two brothers, one's a scholar, the other one's not. Why is that? Well, because they have their own choices that they made. And maybe their parents uh, disciplined them differently than the other one. So, I, you know, I don't know. But, again, just because someone grows up in the same spot as you or is in the same church as you doesn't mean that years later down the road that they're going to be in the uh, same camp. You may be in a situation right now where, you know, you're a follower of Christ and you see either your child, sibling, a previous member of your church, a friend or a loved one leave the faith and you're just absolutely heartbroken by that. If you're like me, you probably don't know what to do with that scenario. It's like, oh, how how do I love them? And maybe you're just like me, you know, you just don't know how to handle that. And so my hope for today is just to give you the little bit of knowledge I have and so that way I can help you with this. Because one thing I don't want you to do is like say if someone's leaving the faith and or They've left the faith for a long time and you're like freaking out. Maybe it's your child and you're just really trying hard to like stiff neck them into becoming a follower of Jesus again. And it's just not working. You know, one thing that we don't want to do as believers is just beat people in the head and Bible like thump them, right? We want to lovingly draw them back to Christ or to Christ. 
So I hope today this kind of helps you in your walk. And that's where I want to look at the quote that the father gives right after the rebellious son Paul dies from a bar fight at the end of the movie. And the father says this, and I think it was either his sermon or during the funeral that we can love completely what we cannot completely understand I kind of feel like there was something there in that moment. He's like, I, I didn't understand my son. I didn't know why he wasn't pursuing an education or pursuing Christ or he was getting drunk, getting into bar fights and whatnot. You know, you could tell the father did love his son, but he just didn't completely understand it. And as I was thinking about this quote, this is really good for us as Christians in one of two ways. First, to actually love people, we have to understand the love of God has for us. We have to understand Christ's love for us. Now, we shouldn't use this quote the minister gave for God's love for us. Rather, this is how God loves us. Okay, so we we shouldn't say, well, God loves us completely what he can't completely understand. Because remember, he is sovereign. He is holy. He is set apart. He knows the beginning and the end. He is the alpha. He is the omega. So he knows everything about this universe. He created it. So rather we should say he loves us completely with the complete understanding of who we are. Now, I normally don't talk about Christian movies on here, but I do want to play you a quip from the movie Ragamuffin Gospel to help kind of illustrate this. It's honestly one of the greatest scenes, one of the greatest movie scenes I've ever seen in my entire life. So much so that I actually had, (laughs) I actually had this quote memorized at one point and could quote to you word for word what this movie clip said. So if you want to read a good book, because if you're like me who has struggled with God's grace and uh, his mercy and his goodness, uh, the movie that this was based upon was The Ragamuffin Gospel by Brandon Manning. And so if you struggle with the grace of God, read that. I'll leave the link for you in the description along with, I think, the sermon that inspired this scene I'm about to play here. So I'll play the clip. From a ragging gospel movie. Here we go. Hey, can I play your tape? What is it? This is preacher, Brendan Manning. You should know better than to even ask me to listen to a preacher. Just give it ten minutes. In the 33 years since I was first ambushed by Jesus in a little chapel in the mountains of western Pennsylvania, and the literally thousands of hours of prayer and meditation, silence, solitude in those years. I am now utterly convinced that on Judgment Day, the Lord Jesus will ask one question and only one question. Did you believe that I loved you? That I desired you? That I waited for you day after day. That I longed to hear the sound of your voice. The real believers will respond and say, I believed in your love. And I tried to shape my life as a response to it. 
But many of us who are so faithful in our ministry, our practice, church going, are going to answer, well, frankly, no, sir. I never really believed it. There is the difference between the real believers and the nominal Christians that abound in our churches across the land. No one can measure like a believer the depth and intensity of God's love. But then again, no one can measure like a believer the effectiveness of our gloom, our pessimism, our low self-esteem, our self-hatred and despair that block God's way to us. Do you see now why it's so important to lay hold of this basic truth of our faith? Because you're only going to be as big as your own concept of God. We make God in our own image, and he winds up being as fussy and rude and narrow-minded, judgmental and legalistic and unloving and unforgiving as we are. I've been in churches in Bangor, Maine, Miami, Seattle, San Diego, and St. Louis, and honest, the God of so many Christians I meet is too small for me. Because he is not the God of the word. He is not the God who is revealed in and by Jesus Christ, who at this moment comes to your seat and says, I have a word for you. I know your whole life story. I know every skeleton in your closet. I know every moment of sin and shame, dishonesty and degraded love that's darkened your past. Right now, I know your shallow faith, your feeble prayer life, your inconsistent discipleship. And my word to you is this. I dare you to trust that I love you. Just as you are. Not as you should be. Oh man, that scene means so much to me. And I hope it really encouraged you at this moment. God knows our whole life story. He knows every thought we have ever made. He knows all of our pride all of our motives for doing things, the lust for something, somebody that we have had fantasized about. He knows all the stuff that we idolize and covet from other people. He has seen all the lies you have ever told, whether big or a small white fib. God knows the hatred you've had against somebody. He knows every sin that you've ever committed, whether it be in your thoughts or your actions. He's seen you at your complete worst. He's seen me at my complete worst with all of our sin and failures. And yet he still chose to die on a cross and take the wrath of God for ourselves. Just think about that just for a moment. He knows you in and out. He loves you completely. Wow. He completely knows exactly who you are. And I bring this up because it really makes us think as Christians that if God loves us with a complete understanding, a full understanding of who you and I are 
then we can love people completely what we cannot completely understand. We don't have to understand people to love them. God doesn't say, love your enemies if you completely understand them. He just says, love them despite who they are. Despite that they're your enemies, love them. He loved his enemies by dying on the cross. We must do likewise. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. God doesn't say, love your neighbor if you really understand like their whole life story. We are called as Christians to love people despite who they are because we know as believers God completely loves us with the full understanding of who we are. And I just want to clarify because this could get misconstrued that this doesn't mean for us as believers to affirm what other people do with their sin, right? It would have been wrong for Norman to be like, hey, Paul, what you're doing with your alcoholism and getting into bar fights is totally fine, you know? Like, no, like to be loving is to speak truth in love in people's lives it went and try to help them bring them out of it. That's love. I mean, Christ, when he died on the cross, he doesn't approve of our sin. He loves us where we're at. It said, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But then later in Romans 8, like he wants us to conform to his image. He wants us to start becoming more like him. He didn't die just so you can go live your sinful life. He died so that you can walk the way he walked, talk the way he talked, think the way he thinks. He wants us to be changed and only his love can change that. It says also in Romans, in Romans 2, it says the kindness of God leads us to repentance. It's kindness, it's love, it's mercy, it's grace that really changes and stirs our heart to transform into the image of Christ. And so with that, we want to project that love onto other people. So if you know people who have left the faith, you know what you do? Or or if you know people that are going down a dark road, you know what you do? You love them. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you say, hey, you know what? Like, look what I've been reading in the Bible lately. Isn't, like, Jesus amazing? Isn't he amazing that he healed the blind man? Going through and huddle right now with a group of guys of mine, and we're going through John chapter 9 where Jesus healed the blind man with mud. And at the start of it, it says, you know, the man who was blind And then you have the disciples that are like, well, who sinned? This guy's mother or this guy's father or blah, blah, or did he sin? And then you have the Pharisees that are like, hey, you know, was this really the guy that was blind? Like, it can't be. And what's interesting is that Jesus saw this man, not as a blind man. It didn't say blind man. It said man blind from birth. He saw, Jesus saw him as an image bearer of God first and foremost. You know, I think there is, sometimes we project our sin onto us like, well, you know, I'm an alcoholic. I'm addicted to pornography, but I'm a blind man. I'm a fat person. I'm whatever you, someone says about you or whatever you say about yourself. 
What I love about Jesus is that he says, I'm an image bearer of God. I am fearfully and wonderfully made in God's image and have intrinsic worth. And he loves me despite my dumb, stupid rebellion against him. Like, look at just how amazing Jesus is. Look, just look at the gospel. Look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and look how Jesus treats people. Yeah, he's harsh with the Pharisees. Yeah, there is some hard sayings that he has. But look at the love and compassion he has, despite people hating him, trying to stone him, and ultimately hanging him in the end. Because in the end, he, he says to the Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He's saying, hey, these Roman guards, they don't know what they're doing right now. Forgive them as they're murdering him, as they're putting a spear into his side. What amazing love God has for us. And I just want to imitate that love onto other people, despite if they hate me, despite if they have different religious beliefs or different sociological backgrounds. I want to love them be like, oh man, you know, okay, I can't, obviously I can't control people, but hey, I can share with you the gospel. I can, I can share with you just like how amazing Jesus is and what he's done in my life. Like, don't you want that? And just try to speak truth into people's life in a very loving and kind, compassionate way, just like Christ has done for us. So let's completely love the person in front of us, even though we do not fully understand. Because we know that God of the universe, if we've, if we're actually believers and we repented and believed in Jesus, we know the goodness of God. And let's just ask God like, Hey Lord, you know, the fruit of the spirit in Galatians is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Like ask for those fruits of the spirits. It's amazing. And that's something that I, I want to pray for in my life. I hope that you're praying for in your life. That's what I got for this episode. But before I go, you know, as I was doing a little bit of research on this movie, I was like, okay, what are the meaning at the end? I was going to like talk about the ending, but you know, I, I just decided against it. But when I was looking for the meaning at the ending, there was this funny discussion going on in there. And there were some people asking the question of what the last quote meant at the end of the movie. And this, here's this one guy's Quote, and it's honestly quite funny. I just had to bring it up on the podcast. So someone's asking, you know, what's the interpretation at the end? Cause, you know, the, the, the poem is, is poetic. The poem's poetic. There's a concept right there. So anyways, this is what the last part of what his thing reads. The movie, the movie ruined Missoula. Way too many people migrated here because of the movie alone. And just in case you are thinking about moving here, Montana is full. Winters start in September and ends in June, sometimes July. If that's not enough to keep you away, 
The woods are full of ravenous grizzly bears and wolves. So many that one in five tourists are eaten by them. The remaining four are taken out by bison. And, you know, it's just so funny. Like, I don't know if that guy really, like, meant it that way. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. But if he really did, uh, then, you know, I'm sorry that you feel that way. But I know people that live in Missoula and live in Montana, and they're wonderful people. And they have not gotten eaten by a grizzly bear or bison since. So, I mean, not yet anyways. Uh, knock on wood. So, just thought I had to share that. I thought that was really, really funny for you guys. So anyways, thank you for listening to the show. Um, remember, we can love completely what we cannot completely understand because we have a father in heaven who completely loves us with a complete understanding of who we are. And with that, like my friend Blaine always says, don't party too hard without me. What? Catch you guys later. Whether it's at home or at the movie theaters, Movie Night Apologetics exists to help you, the listener, know the Christian worldview through the movie's messages. I am movie apologist Clark, and this is Movie Night Apologetics Podcast.